Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And this is our 23rd episode. Hey guys, and thanks for tuning in. I know it's been a while since we put out a podcast because things have been crazy over here. As usual. But I would say it's been a little extra crazy as of late. I mean, well, for one, I'd say the biggest news in our life is that we relocated. And that means that our home, our office, and our gym, we had to move all of that. Including the store. Which yeah. was the craziest thing. <laughs> um, we moved only like a mile and a half away or so, but we moved into a house from um, an apartment slash office building where we had two spaces and now we have one. So this is a lot better for us and for the dogs, but the move itself was nuts. It was Giacomo, myself, and my brother who lives with us. And then we had a handful of people help us. Like a small handful of people. <laughs> yeah, but the help that we had. And we actually moved on New Year's Day. So, I mean, it takes some real friends who to come out and help you move on New Year's Day in New England. Especially with the amount of stuff that we had to move. I mean, we had <laughs> a 20-foot truck. You and we truck. filled it. Mm-hmm. How many times did we fill that truck up? I think between everything and the gym, it was six times. God, the sheer volume. I mean, and think gym equipment isn't exactly light, you know, uh, coupled with all of our shelves and the product. I mean, we just. just a... Oh, it was silly. Yeah. It was just silly. <laughs> and I mean, we both work out seven days a week for up to two hours a day. So it's like, yeah, we think we're so tough and all. <laughs> we couldn't move. Once we finished it, like just after the first day, because this whole thing took, I mean, from start to finish, it took like four days of nonstop, like dusk till dawn moving. But after the first day, I remember (laughs) rolling out of my mattress, which was on the floor because we didn't have the bed set up. And like the second my body hit the floor, I was just like, oh my God, I'm dying. (laughs) Well, I mean, it was more than just like a really bad ache and pain in weird areas. I mean, things like, like your hands for oh my, my knuckles God. were swollen. My hands have not fully recovered and it's the 19th today. Yeah. Just from gripping weird things like mattresses and strangely shaped objects, holding them really hard. The only thing I could compare it to was after the very first time I went rock climbing, like indoor rock climbing, the way my hands and my forearms hurt so bad. But instead of lasting for a day, it's still hanging around two and a half weeks later. So so as you can tell by how long we're carrying on about how challenging this was, it, it was that bad, but actually. But, like, bro, there are people who do this for a living. Like, nope. every day. Sorry. Like, wake up every day and move people's houses. And I will gladly pay them if and when the time comes where we move again. <laughs> a long time from now. Hopefully. Best part about this move, though, the yard. We didn't have a yard in the last place. and And the dogs... Even with the snow outside, just the fact that we have an area where they, they can hang out, it's it's just improved their quality of life already so much. Yeah, it's been really nice. And it's just this place has a lot more sunlight. And, you know, my brother who's lived with us for probably like six or eight months or something like that, he has a room now, which is nice because before he was just staying in our living room. And now it's it's just it's very homey. And I like that a lot. I think we needed that quite a bit because we're just so 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 work 
driven all the time that we sort of don't have much of a home life. Like our home life is our work life. Well, the quiet and the solitude of living in a home as opposed to living in the heart of downtown, albeit a small downtown in Haverhill. <laughs> like, a, like a postage stamp-sized downtown. Okay. But, I mean, think apartment complex, people, traffic, in and out, in and out. It's like you're living a busy life, and then you leave your busy life, and you step outside, and it's busy there, too, you know? But, I mean, outside of the move, how's stuff been going for you? Like, stuff that's actually pertinent to this podcast. How's your <laughs> workouts and stuff been going? <laughs> Not bad, actually. I had been fighting through some injuries. I just probably aggravated my body going, putting it through the ringer for competition. Long story short, it was about six, not six months, maybe three months on and off of being injured in the same area in my back. And it seems like it's gone for good. I mean, part of it had to do with me changing my technique a little bit and my body adapting on the way that I bench press specifically, I'd say. But everything is starting to finally cooperate. And it's no surprise that it also probably has a lot to do with the fact that I'm eating more now and fueling myself better. How about you? It's been going pretty well. I think since the last time we did this podcast, I don't remember exactly where we left off, but I actually developed some really, really, I I remember before I had told you guys about how I was struggling with some health issues that we just couldn't figure out what the hell they were. Um, And they just sort of kind of went away mostly on their own with a lot of work on sleep, which sounds like such a weird thing to work on. But yes, I've been working on my sleep and increasing the quality of it. And it's helped immensely, but not 100%. And then I just got like, hit out of nowhere with the most intense stomach pain I have ever felt. I basically, I woke up one morning and my stomach hurt so bad, like hunger pangs. When you're deep into contest prep, you wake up with hunger pangs every morning. Like that is what wakes you up. And it kind of felt like that, but really, really strong, which was strange because I had eaten like a full pretty large size dinner the night before. I'm not in contest prep at all. If I wake up with any hunger right now, it's pretty strange. So I woke up and I was literally like rolling around in the bed, clutching my stomach for probably like 20 minutes before I could even get up because I was so hungry. It's like, this is so weird. So I got to the kitchen and I eat my breakfast. It's like a decent 500 calorie breakfast or so. And all right, I feel okay. And literally 20 minutes later, it came back. And this kept happening over and over and over. And basically, I ended up going through all of these different tests and yada, yada, yada. And it is an ulcer. They don't really know what caused it. Uh, It doesn't appear to have been H. pylori, which is nice. That's what causes most ulcers. It's not NSAIDs or ibuprofen or anything like that because I don't take them. They're really not sure. (laughs) The only thing I could think is I eat a lot, 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 lot of spicy food. But that's kind of a myth. Like, spicy food doesn't cause ulcers, although it can make them hurt more. So, not really sure. Dealt with that for on and off for probably like a week and a half or so. There there really wasn't much that they could do for it. I was drinking Mylanta. They were basically telling you that when it hurts to eat, so that it helps ease the pain, you're (laughs) like, oh, great. (laughs) That was the only thing that could stop the pain was eating. So let me tell you about my perfect reverse diet. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That week sucked. That week sucked majorly because the whole time it was like, I had to choose between like, well, do I want to sit here in pain, like doubled over, clutching my stomach and feeling hungry, which is the fucking worst. Um, Or do I want to eat some food and screw up my reverse diet and not be in pain. Well, most of the time I chose the latter. So for that week and a half, I ended up just eating. It was mostly like really bland carbohydrate type foods like potatoes and toast and things like that, that seemed to make the pain go away the fastest and for the longest. So I ate like a shit ton of carbs. <laughs> but you also tried to stay somewhat within I the range of your... I tried to stay within my caloric range, mm-hmm. but really there were points where I was just like, screw it, this hurts, I'm going to eat. Right. In fact, I, I was going to sleep at night with a bagel next to the bed every God. night. <laughs> Did you... Good. Are you going to hit me if I say I'm jealous of you for that I a was bit? <laughs> literally waking up in the middle of the night in pain Think and you're eating on a half something. a bagel and going back to sleep. <laughs> So really glad know that. that it just sort of went away without reason again. You know, they're probably going to find some huge underlying health issue with me at some point. They're going to be like, surprise. And I'm going to be like, damn it. Um, but How as of I... right now, everything, everything seems to be going really, really well throughout the whole thing. I continued training. Um, I think I missed one training day. And that was a day that I was in the emergency room. So I think I get a pass there. Slacker. Um, <laughs> And as soon as the pain started to go away, I sort of hopped right back on my regular reverse and started hitting my macros more appropriately again and tried to use all that extra food that I had eaten to like nail some strength goals. And I ended up hitting a 225 squat, which is a huge goal that I had for 2016, actually. And to have hit it in the first few weeks of 2016 was super, super exciting. So hopefully I hit my other strength goals for 2016 also i better i want to get wagon wheels up on my bench oh yeah nothing but wheels and actually now that you mentioned goals i've been thinking about when i'm going to do my first meet you know because it's like you want to compete and you want to be at your strongest and it's like well you're just going to keep getting stronger as you train so it's sooner or later you just got to do it and it's not official yet but i'm looking at the meets in my area in New England, there's one at the end of May, the 20th and the 29th. It's the, it's the USAPL sanctioned event. Which if is, he does it, I'm going to do it with him. You should. You totally should. So I guess it's like 17 weeks away. And I'm working with a, a coach for my training protocol, a powerlifting specific coach, reactive training systems. And I'm actually enjoying it a lot. We're working on the weaker part of my lifts, and I feel like it is helping bring them up overall. I mean, it's it's been new. I've only been uh, working with them for my training call. I'm still working with Lane for my nutrition. Uh, working with them for six weeks now, so it's kind of too soon to tell. But I, I really, I'm so far, I'm enjoying the process thoroughly. And I'm looking forward to potentially competing as long as I stay injury-free. And nothing gets in the way. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, Jack Mo? The fitness industry. Shocking. The, Go yeah. on. <laughs> uh, well, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think we're going to talk about the bad and the ugly in regards to the sexualization of the fitness industry. So this is actually a really 
touchy topic, I think, because it's really easy to come down hard on one side or the other on how you feel about the sexualization of the fitness industry. And for me, I don't think it's necessarily that clear. Like you said, it's the bad and the ugly. And I think it can be. And I think more often than not, it is the bad and the ugly. But I'm not really into policing what other people are going to do with their bodies and what they feel comfortable with. So I'm not sure if that is how I really feel about it. But let me back up a little bit. So the sexualization of the fitness industry, I think, is something that is completely undeniable, even to the naked eye. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> like, if you just scroll through Instagram or even just do a Google search of fitness model, you're going to see a lot of fitness models, definitely, but in overtly sexual, sort of provocative poses and not necessarily having anything to do with actual fitness other than the fact that they are probably fit or at least look fit. Right, and this is a really tough area because when you're dealing with physique-based athletes, they're going to want to present and show their physique, which is going to result in them maybe not having a shirt on or whatever, being imposing trunks. But once again, there's a way to present yourself that is not that does not have any sexual undertones to it. And then there's the way that we see a lot of people portraying themselves for the purpose of, I don't know, maybe uh, gaining gaining more attention or I mean, why, why do you think it happens? Well, I mean, the human body is a sexual thing. I mean, the vast majority of us are attracted to other humans and it is in a sense sort of natural, biologically speaking even, to be attracted to a fit person who would be like biologically a mate to create offspring with. Like this is very, very, very deep rooted in us. However, we seem to take that a step further or sometimes many steps further in the fitness industry right now. Uh, now I will preface that with the caveat that Giacomo and I are both more well-versed in bodybuilding than anything else. And I feel like you don't see this nearly as much in powerlifting and other strength-based sports. Not to say that it doesn't happen. Oh, I'm sure that it does happen, but that's you just don't see it as much as you do, obviously, in bodybuilding, where the purpose of the sport is, hey, look at my body and judge me on it. But to just your everyday gym goer, your general population, they are looking at physique goals often first. You know, many, many people get into training and working out because they want to enhance or change the way they look. So a lot of times they're looking for inspiration in other people's physiques. And I think that a lot of us can agree with that. Okay, right, and I agree with you there, and it's great, you know, that people can present themselves confidently uh, and, you know, in, in sort of a, a fitness model type look, but then, I mean, how many times, I don't know about you, but I come across this 
the shit, especially on the bigger Instagram accounts, we had a conversation about it. I'm like, Danny, I don't know if I could follow these accounts anymore. I feel like I'm watching soft porn or something. It's it's uncomfortable for me as the viewer. <laughs> Where women are just basically, you know, I don't want to say twerking, but I mean, it's just because like <laughs> booty shaking going on when they're trying to get a workout in shorts that are just intentionally drenched in water and their fans running through the hair. Well, that's, that's kind of like, the thing. What, is what like, is that? Okay, so subjectively whether or not somebody is trying to be overtly sexual in a photo or a video or even just at the gym itself you know there is a degree that some you know, people are going to be attracted to you whether you're trying to be sexual or not that's just human nature however when you look at a bunch of these instagram accounts or or fitness model websites yes the stuff that they are doing in the gym is fucking ridiculous like i don't know about you but I don't go squat topless in a thong. Like, <laughs> I don't press my naked bosom up against a punching bag and lean passively with my wedgied butt over the dumbbell rack and just stare at myself in the mirror. Like, these things don't happen in actual gyms. Right, or I'm not, like, biting my lip or sucking on a lollipop in between sets. It's exactly. not happening. Like, <laughs> I, and I guess that that is my point, is that, you know, what is sexy and what is sexual to one person and another is going to vary wildly, but there is a clear point where something is like, oh, that's trying really hard to be overtly sexual. Or what about, like, when one person is on top of the other on a bench, when there's just no possible scenario where that would ever happen Or, like, two in girls in bikinis spotting each other in high heels. Like, like what? what the fuck <laughs> am I looking at? And the thing is, is I don't really know who this is inspiring. Who is inspired by this? I'm going to tell you who's inspired by this. Not people who are working out. Porn industry, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> well, just, like... You know, creepy people looking to creep on photos of hot people doing sexy things. Like, that's who's looking at this sort of thing and being like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, the thing is, is I get really bummed out because I am so into the fitness industry and I do take this shit really seriously. And I don't feel like that in any way represents me or you or most of the people that I associate myself with. Right, and unfortunately, it's guilt by association, you know, and people wind up stereotyping fit, uh, fitness-minded folk. And I mean, the majority of us have no desire in being portrayed like that or putting a message like, like that out at all. You know, we don't want to sit here and bash the industry that we're passionate about, you know, but in, this, in the same regard, there's got to be a way to, to sort of weed out this, this type of behavior. And I think that one of the major questions is, what is the motivation behind these photo shoots and these videos and, and things like that? You know, if someone is just, if some people, that's just the way they are. They, there are plenty of overtly sexual people, and that's just how they are. And if they're comfortable being that way and that's how they choose to express themselves like do you that's totally fine the problem that I see is when people feel pressured like they have to do these kind of shoots they have to exude this kind of energy in order to further their careers in the fitness industry 
and, you know, get various contracts with product companies and sponsorships and things like that. You know, and that what that's actually making me think of are real life situations like this that do, in fact, exist where women are pressured into literally doing porn. It, it is a it is a thing in very, very uh, in a very, very well known organization in that well in the ifbb we'll just fucking say it no secrets (laughs) in the ifbb and the npc a lot of women are pressured by the owner of the company who also owns a porn website or like directs porn i'm not if he produces it i'm not really sure but he owns some sort of porn company and he owns the npc and the ifbb so you do the math. A lot of these women end up in these porns. And I feel pretty strongly, based on lots of interviews and things that I've read, that these women are pressured into doing this in order to further their career as an athlete. Now, the NPC and the IFBB is the highest, most well-known, most well-recognized, definitely where the most money is in bodybuilding. So this is like what you see the be-all, end-all, top-level female athletes doing to get to the top. So on top of dealing with the pool of athletes where a fair amount of them are using performance-enhancing drugs and... What do you call it? Breast augmentation? Breast augmentation is another thing I'm going to get to. All sorts of stuff that they're <laughs> pressured into doing, basically, to further themselves. Now they have to play the, the political game, and it's almost an unspoken rule within bikini athletes specific as far as my understanding of it. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I know enough that bikini athletes are sort of pressured into doing this if they want to make it. Pressured into doing what? Pressured into breast augmentation. That is... Absolutely true. And this actually doesn't just apply to the NPC and the IFBB. Within bodybuilding, there's this really vague gray area of judging the female physiques where they you have a round that is based on symmetry and balance. And a lot of times... Uh, when you get very lean naturally and you're a female, your boobs disappear. That is what happens. Breasts are mostly made up of fat. There is breast tissue in there. How much or how little varies a lot from person to person, but most of breasts are fat. So when you get lean, you do not have much there. When you are on stage, you it, it can it can look a little bit strange. Um, because you're so flat-chested, but so developed everywhere else. So while they will not come out and say they are judging you on your breasts, they are judging you on your overall balance, both front to back, side to side, and top to bottom. And femininity, I think, is in a lot of people's uh, judging criteria, which Mm. is a strange thing, Mm. I think, femininity, because that seems like it would be so wildly subjective pause is masculinity within the judging criteria for men no oh okay yeah that's makes sense i'm with you gotcha (laughs) no um so a lot of women uh, just as a personal side note i've gone up for my pro card twice now and lost twice 
to women with breast implants. So, I mean, they looked fantastic, and I'm certainly not taking that away from anybody whatsoever. But it's just something to think about. You do, whether the judges are intentionally doing it or not, you do get docked for having a small chest, and a lot of women do feel pressured, and rightfully so, to get breast augmentation done in order to win pro cards and win sponsorships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And some people have been told straight to their face, like, you're not placing better because you're too flat-chested. Well, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. (laughs) When you're in a, a bikini that's very, very tiny, there's really not a lot of, like, stuffing things in there that you can do there's not a lot that you can hide I guess is what I'm saying so a lot of women do turn to getting breast augmentation I'm sure you've thought about this more than I have yeah and so I have a question (laughs) for you yeah so say you're on a judging panel right and now whether women are doing this intentionally or whatnot a certain percentage of women wind up getting breast augmentation. That's just the way the world is. Now, how do you take a pool of women, and some of them are, are have artificially enhanced breasts and the other ones do not, how do you judge their physique and symmetry amongst one another fairly? It's almost impossible, actually, um, because as far as being symmetrical from top to bottom, side to side, and front to back... I mean, somebody who does have a little more up top is probably going to look more symmetrical and balanced because of that. Because women typically are more lower body heavy. You know, we have smaller upper bodies. Obviously, in my particular division, we're working really hard to build our upper bodies as well to match our lower bodies. But like in bikini, it's booty. Booty everywhere. The biggest booty, the bigger the better. Um, And if you're very, very flat chested, sometimes that can look a little bit lopsided. So when you have somebody with a big round butt and, you know, big round boobs, it looks a lot more balanced. So I feel like you would have to try very hard to not take that into consideration. So as a judge, would I sort of imagine a competitor's physique as as is? You almost have to look at them. In addition to looking at them as a whole, you do have to sort of look at them as a uh, sum of their parts Mm -hmm. also, I think. But first of all, I want to make this clear that I am personally never going to get breast augmentation whatsoever. That's not me. Um, I have felt the pressure of the industry to do so, but it's just never going to happen. But I don't hold anything against anybody who chooses to at all. It's your body. You do to it what you want. That's your right. My problem is that it should not be the fitness industry's right to put that pressure on anybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if you want to do it for yourself, go right the fuck ahead. But if you're going to do it to further yourself in a career where people just judge your body for the way it looks anyway, like when you really break it down, it's really silly. You're going to put yourself through this ridiculously expensive painful surgery that actually inhibits your strength and and additionally you're supposed to go get the implants replaced every 10 years or so like you're signing yourself up for surgery after surgery and again people can do whatever they want to their body but for an industry to pressure people to do something so dramatic is totally totally fucked up and just one more aspect of the over sexualization 
of the fitness industry and its effects as it trickles down. Because we're talking about the IFBB and the NPC, like 99.5% of us will never make it to the IFBB. But the trickle-down effect to the everyman who wants to be a fitness trainer or a fitness figure or this or that looks up to these people, you know, sees their pictures on these, like, porn-style fitness websites and says, all right, that's what I got to do is this sort of style. And they start taking these selfies of their, like, whatever. I mean, just a quick Instagram hashtag search of, like, fit fam or fitness model. You'll see it everywhere. And it's just, you know, as... The people who are really high up in the fitness industry and are very well known, I feel like there should be some level of responsibility to keep fitness in the fitness industry, you know? Teach me something. Show me something. Help me change my life. I don't want to see your butt in my face all day long. Like, it may be the nicest butt ever, but that doesn't help me in any way. It's pretty easy to pick apart the... the feminine aspect of the fitness industry and how easily it can become hypersexualized because it's so so common it's almost expected even outside of the fitness industry Mm -hmm. and then you know but believe it or not in the for the men it's it's starting to happen a lot more too you know and bodybuilding about how bodybuilding used to be yeah i mean bodybuilding to me, I feel like the sport of bodybuilding is still pretty much tasteful. I don't really think that it's it's sexual in nature at all. I think it's more about, you know, just guys getting bigger and bigger. Um, and there's a trickle-down effect from the steroid usage growing and growing and growing where everyone just thinks that they need to be bigger than they can actually get within their genetic potential. I mean, that's my bias as a natural drug-free athlete. But anyway, not to go off tangent, I guess once the, I don't know, I don't think physique came around the same time as bikini. Physique? The physique division is only a few years old, actually. So the physique division was the the men's answer to bikini when bikini blew up. I don't think it was their answer to the bikini division. I think it was these guys are the bodybuilding guys they were way too big nobody com- could compete mm. with them anymore and it was turning into a freak show right and they wanted another place for less massive men to be able to compete the irony of that is that the the physique athletes that are on gear are still pretty freaking big yeah <laughs> but anyway right so rewind to as little as a year and a half ago where everyone was telling me that my natural build, my aesthetics, would fare really well in the physique division. And that was about a year and a half ago that people started really harping on me. Danny's been harping on me for, for years, actually, to try it. I, I did actually try it. I did well, but that's besides the point. I was afraid to do physique because when I saw my colleagues go up a couple of years ago, not that, not that they did anything in specific. It was just basically the presentation and the look that... And, and the catcalling from the audience where it was like, sexy, work it, this, that. And I'm like, I don't want to be on stage parading around in super short board shorts while women are sexualizing me and cheering me on and things like, no, no, no. It's Which is fun. what happens to every woman who gets on stage, BT dubs. Doesn't make it right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't, 
I don't want that. Like, I don't want that energy. That's not the image of myself that, that I, I want attention being drawn to. Like, I don't even want that image, period. So why would I compete in this division where pretty much you're going to be subjected to it? And that, that made me very uncomfortable, actually. It took me a while to be able to feel confident enough to compete as a physique athlete. Yeah, the physique, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, physique is a little bit smaller, a little bit less muscular than bodybuilding. They wear shorts instead of the little mankini, and they do sort of beach poses that are not overtly sexual, but they're like very flirty compared to bodybuilding poses, which are strict, front double bicep, rear lat spread. Physique poses are kind of like being on the beach like, hey girl, hey. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, hey, look at me. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, they almost want you kind of winking at the judges and the audience. And like you said, flirting flirty. in a sense, Absolutely. not just with with your actions, with your body language. It's got to be suggestive. But I mean, you do start to see that on social media as well these days where it used to just be like guys with their ab shots and. I don't got lots of pictures of guys with their shirts off. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a men's fitness magazine that doesn't have a guy with their shirt off, but the pictures have kind of taken a turn in the past few years to this much more sexualized sort of a thing where it's like, you know, they have their shorts pulled down pretty much as far as they can possibly go without actually showing ween. And, <laughs> uh, just, you know, not, I don't I don't think it even compares to what some of the women's shots look like, but it's definitely happening and it's just something to be aware of. So, you know, if this isn't something that you are comfortable with, you being anybody who's listening to this, if this isn't something that you're comfortable with, what what is it that we can do about it? Like what can we do to improve this? fitness image which I personally think not only do I find it to be not not even tasteless or offensive it's just useless I think (laughs) um but it also does it turns a lot of people off like the people who I would want to be getting into fitness and into the fitness industry and learning how to work out and be strong and love themselves I feel like it turns a lot of people off to it um, and the people that it's not turning off are probably not the people that we want around <laughs> anyway. Because they really have no interest in fitness in the first place. Yeah, they have interest in creeping on hot chicks. So um, so what can we do about it? Well, I think step one is, t- you know, to be aware of it and to also present yourself in the most tasteful way possible out there. And then also, I think it's really important to speak to the community that you're looking to engage in as a fitness professional or a fitness enthusiast. Yeah. Someone or just your regular Joe who wants to hopefully lead by example by inspiring others with their own accomplishments for their own personal fitness journey where you look at that person and say, wow, you know, they're taking good care of their health and they look great as a result. That's pretty cool. Maybe I could do that. I mean, they did it. Look mm-hmm. at their transformation. It's great. You know, go out of your way to support athletes who are not um, going out of their way to display this image. You know, there are a lot of badass vegan athletes out there who are doing some really cool shit and you may check out their page and it may not be super flashy. Um, 
but like look a little harder. Like we're so conditioned to look at something and like find something that catches our eye instantly. And yeah, you know, sex sells and sex is catchy, but looking a little bit deeper than that is where you're going to find more of the real value. Not to say that there are not people out there who do these sexy shoots and do all this sort of sexy stuff and then still put out really good information. Actually, Nick Cheadle in Australia, I think, is a great example of someone who does put out like really sexy, kind of scantily clad pictures of himself a lot, but he also backs it up with some solid ass information. And I guess to me, that's kind of the test. You know, if I'm just reading this person's words, if I'm just listening to this person without looking at them, am I learning something? Am I getting something out of this? Um, Can I relate to them in some way? Well, then it doesn't really matter if they're being over the top sexy or if they're fucking shrouded from head to toe, then I'm going to respect them as a fitness individual. Um, And they're providing something for others. If someone looks bang up, but... When I start listening to them talk, they don't know their ass from their elbow in the gym or they have no idea what they're talking about. Well, then I'm not impressed. I don't really care, you know, and I think that's a big difference. But go out of your way to follow people that are providing valuable content, even if it's not necessarily super flashy. If you are a fitness individual who does not feel like this sort of style represents them very well... And you get approached by a company that wants to do some sort of promo with you that you think is going to go that route, decline. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it because it's an opportunity. We actually got approached very recently by a very large organization whom I know everybody listening to this podcast is very familiar with, but I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to start shit. They wanted to do a, a promo with us. And I know how they do their promos and I know that it's very objectifying and overtly sexual and I'm not interested in doing that even though it would get us a lot of publicity. I, I have no interest in, in being that girl. So, you know, you're not obligated to do a certain type of shoot or video. You can set your own boundaries on what you will and will not do, what you are and are not comfortable with. It Just because you show up does not mean the photographer can do whatever the hell they want with you. You know, it's okay to voice your limitations. And I guess lastly, my last recommendation would be to not, don't attack anybody. Don't attack somebody just because they are portraying themselves in a way that maybe you don't necessarily agree with you don't have to agree with it it's how they choose to portray themselves they could portray themselves buck naked and upside down and that's not really any of your concern there's no need to attack anybody for any way that they choose to present themselves if you're not comfortable with it if you don't find that it's something that jives with you you don't have to follow it you don't have to like it you don't have to share it or support it in any way And if it's an organization, you can feel free to let the organization or the company know. You can write them a polite email um, saying, you know, I I don't think your advertising tactics have a lot of integrity and I'm not going to spend my dollars here. And that's really all you have to do. You have that right. So so just remember that whether you're a well-recognized fitness individual or just 
you know, an avid gym goer, you're part of this fitness community. It's your community and you can contribute to it and have an opinion about it and what you think matters and anything that you do or don't support helps to change the industry for better or worse. So just keep that in mind and, and don't ever feel pressured to do anything that you're not comfortable with for yourself. Moving on to our product review segment for today, I'd like to talk about ahi flower oil, which is brand new to the market actually. It hasn't been commercially available until only a couple months ago, I want to say. And Jeff Palmer of Clean Machine approached me about it a little while back and he started to give me the ins and outs about it and I was really excited. We actually just launched it Oh, geez, last week? Not even. Yeah, yeah. So it's really new stuff. I mean, I only got to try it just recently myself. And thing I like about this stuff, above and beyond everything, is the fact that it is sustainably sourced. It's a very environmentally friendly product. A lot of the oils that are being produced, I mean, fish oil would be probably the most glaring example. Uh, they're really harmful to the environment, the way that they're being harvested. And because these oils are in demand... You know, our ecosystem is being thrown off. And, I, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of arguments as far as to what is and isn't sustainable and how our ecosystem will adapt. But there's no doubt about the fact that when you take a whole lot away from the earth, that it's going to take a little bit of time for the earth to rebuild itself. Anyway, ahi flower oil is sustainably sourced from small farmers. And Jeff is aware of the entire supply chain, which I absolutely love. And it's one of the uh, things about Clean Machine that I greatly appreciate. Anyhow, so from soil to oil, we know exactly where this stuff is being sourced. One thing I like in specific about ahi flour is that it has more omega-3s than chia, hemp, and flaxseed. So it's basically the king of omega-3s, which is awesome. And it also contains steridonic acid, which is pro-EPA oil, meaning that it helps your body convert essential fatty acid into EPA. And EPA is basically one of the most effective supplements that you can add into your nutrition regimen because most things either increase muscle protein synthesis, meaning your ability to build muscle, or decrease muscle breakdown, so your ability to not lose your muscle as you're training and recovering and whatnot. EPA does both, so it has a, a twofold approach. Anyhow, we have it at the site now. It's available at veganproteins.com, and I think we're going to put the free shipping code up for the rest of the month, actually. So if you, if you want to try some of this stuff before the end of January, I'll put a link down below in the podcast with a coupon code that you can use for free shipping. All right, and now it's time to take some questions for our Q&A segment on today's podcast. Looks like several people asked a similar question on at Vegan Protein's Instagram. So I'll just read this one out over here. Danny, do you recommend not having much fiber before working out, and how does fiber affect your workout? 
Oh, I'm answering it. You are. Uh, okay, so this, this was a picture that I posted of my breakfast. It was toast with vegan Canadian bacon, and on the toast was like some low sugar jam and tofuti cream cheese. It was really, really simple. Um, but one of the things I said was I like it because it's low fiber before my workout. Uh, it's actually, it's not super low fiber. For a lot of people, it would be a good amount of fiber, but for me, it's low fiber. And the reason that I choose to have lower fiber before and after my workouts is kind of a couple reasons. Um, one, fiber isn't absorbed, digested the same way as other carbohydrates. So I prefer to get a lot of carbs in around my workout and I want them to be absorbed and used as energy right away and then used after my workout to replenish glycogen. So I prefer to keep it low fiber just so that more of my carbs can be used right away. And the other reason why I like to keep fiber low around my workouts is because I don't want to have to go to the bathroom at the gym. I'm a pretty classy broad. <laughs> <laughs> and we all appreciate that, especially your spotter. Okay, so our next question is a question we got on Vegan Protein's Facebook page. It's kind of long, so I'm going to summarize it. It is from Michael, and it says, I've recently, I recently read and enjoyed flexible dieting for vegans, but I have a question about where to start if I want to build muscle but also should lose a significant amount of body fat for health reasons. In the book and in the podcast, Danny has talked about how losing body fat and building muscle at the same time is nearly impossible in the long term. I know the conventional wisdom is to build muscle first and then cut down, but because I'm already heavy, should I do the opposite? Well, I don't know if conventional, the conventional approach is build first and then cut. I think that's just something that we see in the fitness community. In bodybuilding. In the bodybuilding community specifically, which apparently Michael may very well be interested in. However, uh, I'd say body composite, body recomposition, meaning both gaining muscle and losing fat at the same time for a majority of the year is probably going to be your best approach as a physique, enthu physique enthusiast or physique-based athlete. But that doesn't mean that you would be doing them both at the same pace. Depending on where you're at, you'll basically prioritize one of those over the other, and the other will still continue to happen. So in your case, it sounds like your primary goal should be weight loss. However, you can also maintain as well as build muscle while you're losing weight. It's actually even easier for a person in that position because you have all you have more fuel to use mm -hmm. and you know that fuel and plus muscle burns fat too huh muscle burns fat it, it, oh 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 well muscle yeah. is more metabolic don't say muscle burns Ex fat yeah can't well, stand that okay <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i would i would have to agree i think that if you're starting from a place where you have a lot of weight to lose not that i'm, I'm reading a little bit more of this question and you're you're obviously not new to working out um let me see something Okay, so you have, I see that you have worked out in the past, but you haven't worked out seriously since then. So you're probably kind of going to be starting over sort of fresh as what we call like a newbie. Um, even though you know what you're doing, your body is going, likely going to respond as such. So I'm thinking that for the first year 
or so, you can probably get away with eating fat loss level of calories, which is about anywhere from like three to 500 calories below your maintenance calories. And as long as you're eating enough protein and working hard in the gym and lifting heavy and getting back into, it looks like you did the five by five routine. That's a great place to start once your body is sort of used to going to the gym again. Um, you will be able to build muscle and lose fat for probably about a year, maybe a little less, maybe a little bit more. Um, and then you'll probably see progress slow down significantly. Like there will be a point where you'll just be like, oh, I feel like I'm barely making progress anymore. And that's probably going to be the point where you're going to want to switch gears and just pick. Do I want to lose more fat right now? Or do I want to focus more on muscle building? And that's really going to depend on you and how much progress you have made in that time. If you lost a, if you end up losing a significant amount of weight in the year, maybe by the time that your progress slows down to a stall, maybe you do want to shift back and slowly raise your calories and focus on building muscle again. If you still have a long way to go in terms of fat loss, you could probably just shift into a fat loss specific phase and then when you reach your desired fat loss, then slowly ease back up to maintenance and possibly focus on building thereafter. Uh, actually, that is how I got started with my uh, body transformation, I suppose, when I was obese. I didn't actually, I didn't know anything about anything, but that's what I ended up, I specifically focused on eating enough, but exercising a lot. And I ended up losing a bunch of weight, but I didn't have a lot of muscle. Then I started focusing on building. And then I've done the bulk cut cycle several times since then. Right. But, and I kind of, and I want to expand on the bulk cutting cycle a little more. My point from earlier, because I, I really, this quote unquote conventional wisdom, you know, it, I feel like it has been debunked where People are doing a lot more intelligently now, but I, I think the information still needs to be put out there. There's just too much of that old school philosophy where you just got to put on 20, 30, 40, 50 mm -hmm. pounds of body weight in order to achieve muscle gains. And really, when you can only, after the newbie gains that you get when you first start working out. And when we say newbie gains, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to gain weight. It means you're going to make fast progress. Yeah. Like you could, let's, okay. So as a person who just starts training, you can put on, expect to put on anywhere from, I don't know, two to eight pounds of muscle, depending on your body, right? And then after that, you're lucky if you get more than a couple pounds of muscle built in a year. In a year. Now, yes, you should be in a caloric surplus to put those couple muscles on. Couple pounds. Put, put those couple muscles on. <laughs> to put those couple pounds of muscle on, you should be in a caloric surplus and you should have some padding. You know, you should be gaining a little bit overall. However, you don't have to gain 20 pounds of body weight to put on two pounds of muscle. Mm-hmm. And the, the worst part about that is when it comes time to achieve that, that, leaner, look. that leaner slash con more conditioned look, you know, you're, you're gonna just going to lose it. Yeah. You're so it's like gonna lose back it. and forth and back and forth, bringing the same exact mm -hmm. package to the stage or for yourself. Yeah. yeah. So when I say I've gone through the bulk cut cycle, it's very different from like the 1970s <laughs> bulk cut. It's just I mm. focus on caloric surplus and then I focus on a caloric deficit and the whole time training heavy through the whole thing. So I think as soon as you get back into your strength training program, 
you can focus, find your maintenance calories like you read about in the book, and then, you know, cut anywhere from three to 500 calories from there, whatever you're more comfortable with, and you're going to see progress from there. And then when progress stalls, switch gears and decide which way you want to go more specifically. So that would be my answer to that question. And thank you for sending this question because it's what finally lit the fire under my ass to make sure that we recorded this podcast so thanks mike before we wrap up today i just wanted to let you guys know i'm a little weary of doing this over the podcast but i did have a few spots open up for online training clients for nutrition and training so if that is something you are interested in you can shoot an email to veganproteins at gmail.com and inquire about coaching And we will get back to you as quickly as we can. Like I said, it's just a few spots, so I'm sure they're going to fill up fast. But I just wanted to, usually I will put it out in an email or something like that, or just allow word of mouth to get us some new clients. But I just wanted to extend the offer to our podcast listeners because we really, really appreciate you guys. And, you know, I know that if you take the time to tune into this particular podcast then you're probably pretty serious into fitness and your health and training and stuff like that and those are my favorite kinds of clients so um if you're interested veganproteins at gmail.com or you can go to the website veganproteins.com and hit the coaching tab if you forget that email yeah there is a coaching tab on veganproteins.com and it's just a pretty short questionnaire just to get an idea where you're at and what you want to do so that is probably a smarter way to get in touch with us I guess that's it for today, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Protein's Muscles by Brussels Radio. Please stay in touch with us in the future on social media at Vegan Proteins on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all of the social media platforms. Once again, my name is Giacomo. And my name is Danny. And we'll see you in two weeks. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>